This morning, we are starting a new sermon series, and this sermon series is going to be based on our three-year strategic plan. Now, back in our January congregational meeting, I gave an overview uh, of our plan, and uh, in the coming weeks, in the, about in the next month at some point, we are going to distribute printed copies of this plan. But the plan focuses on a key word from our mission statement. And that word is the word embody. Our mission statement reads like this. We equip people who have diverse stories and backgrounds to embody God's story together in the everyday stuff of life. So the key word there is embody. And in the strategic plan, we use each letter of the word embody to communicate a different strategy. So let me just run through uh, these strategies really quick. Don't worry about trying to remember them because... Um, throughout the coming weeks, we're going to take a, a week to focus on each of these strategies. So the letter E in embody, embrace holistic discipleship. M, move toward racial unity. B, build structures for mission. O, open our doors to the community. D, develop leadership. And Y, yearn for Jesus' presence. So what we're going to do this week and uh, next week, we're going to take two weeks to focus on what it means to embrace holistic discipleship. And this morning, to help us reflect and think about this, uh, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one of the Bibles in the Purex in front of you. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. Mark 1, 21 through 34. Follow me. Follow me is a consistent theme throughout the gospel of Mark. At the heart of Christianity is an invitation to follow Jesus. But what does it mean? What does it require? What happens to us when we follow Jesus? Where does he take us? Uh, Barb is going to come and read our passage for us. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered a synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so, um, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. That evening, at sundown, they, 
uh, brought him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your deep love for us. And in your love, you have included, you have chosen to reveal to us, to reveal truth to us, to reveal your word to us, to reveal yourself to us. And so we pray during this time as we reflect on this passage that you would reveal truth to us, that you would reveal Jesus to us by the Spirit. And I pray that throughout this time, and as a result of this time, that you would form Jesus into us, that we might actually be changed. And we pray for this regardless of where we find ourselves in this particular moment, whether we're believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe. Jesus, we trust that you know where we are and you are able to come and find us. We pray for your glory and for our good. Amen. Let's talk about what it means to be an apprentice. What is an apprentice? Well, an apprentice is someone who learns under an expert, right? Who seeks to learn a particular trade or skill uh, to um, increase their knowledge, to increase their ability to perform that skill. Well, in the summer of 1997... Uh, so we're going a, a little bit uh, back. Uh, I served, I worked as a tile apprentice that summer. And throughout that summer, what I did was I watched closely the tile installers that I worked under. I listened to their instructions attentively. It was life-on-life life practical training. I grew in knowledge. I grew in character because I was outside of my comfort zone in many ways, what I was used to, my skills, and I grew in actual skill. In the Gospel of Mark, um, there is an emphasis on following Jesus, on following Jesus. Following Jesus is the essence of discipleship. Following him as, is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, but further than that, a disciple is a student, a learner. We might say a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. There are two major questions in the background of the gospel of Mark. The first question is this, who is Jesus? Like that's what all of the gospel writers are seeking to raise as they tell the story of Jesus and they seek to answer um, with the story that they tell of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And the second question is, what does it mean to be his disciple? What does it mean to be his apprentice? But I want to add a third question to the background of the gospel of Mark. And that question is this, what happens to people when they follow Jesus? Like what happens to people when they follow Jesus? What happens to us when we live as his apprentices in life? Well, the answer is this, we are changed. We are changed. Make no mistake about it. The invitation to follow Jesus, to be his apprentice, is an invitation to be changed. Jesus will change you if you get close to him. And this is what we all want deep down inside. It's what we long for. It's what we 
yearn for. Every single one of us wants to change. For some of us this morning, we are in a rut in our spiritual life. Um, Some of us are in the midst of undesirable life circumstances. Others of us are in the midst of maybe broken relationships. And some of us, maybe we want our appearance to change. And for some of us, we are so hyper aware of our character flaws that we want to see changed. And some of us find ourselves in the midst of addiction, and we want that to change. Each and every one of us wants to become someone different. Part of being a fallen person in this world. At the same time, we resist this change. Why? Well, change is hard, isn't it? It is hard to change. But we also resist it because we prefer to live for ourselves. We want to be in charge. We don't want to have to submit to someone else in order to change. And when it comes to discipleship of Jesus, when it comes to living as his apprentice, it requires that we submit our lives to him. Jesus invites us to be his apprentices, to journey with him in life. This is the greatest opportunity available to us. It's an incredible opportunity that Jesus presents us with because in following him, we learn to become the people that God has created us to be. Being an apprentice of Jesus involves becoming like him. As we look at our passage for this morning, uh, verses 21 through 34 of Mark chapter 1, what we learn right away is that Class begins in this passage as Jesus shows his disciples how to live as apprentices in his kingdom. And what we discover is this, that to follow Jesus is to live as his apprentice, and it changes our knowing, who we are becoming, and what we do. So I want to look at those three categories and how we experience change as we live as apprentices of Jesus in our knowing, in our becoming, and our doing. So let's start with are knowing. What's the first thing that we find Jesus doing in this passage? We find him teaching. Now, this is not unusual. Jesus did a lot of teaching uh, in his ministry. Uh, In fact, specifically in the Gospel of Mark, the first half of the Gospel of Mark, verses uh, or chapters 1 through 8, really focus on uh, a lot of Jesus' teaching. And then the second half of the gospel focuses a lot on his action and um, him going to the cross. But we find Jesus teaching. He's teaching in a synagogue here in the beginning of this section. Why? Like, why, why was Jesus teaching here? Why does he teach throughout his ministry? The reason is, is that Jesus knew that there was knowledge that must be imparted to his disciples. He knew it was necessary to shape their view of the world. In other words, Jesus knew that he had to to give his disciples a a filter, a a, a lens through which they could view the world truthfully. He wanted to ground them in knowledge of who he was, who they were, and about the world around them. In other words, he sought to teach them what was true about life. Now, when we apprentice under someone, you know, it's always somebody who knows more than us, somebody that we would label or or look to as an expert, somebody who is an authority on whatever field it is that we are learning in. One definition of an apprentice is this, one who is learning by practical experience 
under skilled workers, a trade, art, or calling. Now, we're going to talk some about specifically um, the authority of Jesus. But before we do that, I want you to consider this question that gets that, that is posed throughout the Gospel of Mark and really throughout the Gospels as a whole. It's one of the questions that I mentioned earlier, and it's this, who is Jesus? This is the, the most important question that Mark is posing as he writes his Gospel. He, he wanted his original readers, and he wants us as readers today to answer that, to ask that question, who is this Jesus? In verses 21 and 22, we learn that the authority of Jesus is is different from the other religious leaders. And this difference is recognizable. It's it's noticeable. Mark says that he taught them as one who had authority. Now, other rabbis during the time of Jesus had authority. Like Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi, was not unusual. It was nothing new. And so when Mark says that he taught them as one who had authority, He's talking about a different kind of authority altogether. He's not just talking about authority in general, again, because there were other teachers who had authority. That's not necessarily what set Jesus apart. But Mark, what he's getting at is there was something different about the authority of Jesus. And that word authority, it literally means something like out of the original stuff. Out of the original stuff. In other words, Jesus' authority is not derived. It's original. Jesus doesn't say in this passage, I want to take you back to what Moses and the prophets say. Now, he he does that at different times in his teaching, but that's not what he's doing here. He speaks based on his own authority. He didn't simply interpret the scriptures for them. He explained the story of their lives lives as if he was the author of their story. Think about that. He explained the story of their lives as if he was the very author of those stories. He talked about people, places, and things, all about life with original authority. Verses 23 through 26. What do we learn? We learn that the demons have an inside track on who Jesus is. Like, they know right away who Jesus is. They, they immediately reference him as the Holy One. So the, the demons don't need convincing of who Jesus is. They are familiar with his power immediately. But for us, it doesn't always work that way, does it? For us, we don't recognize the authority of, uh, and power of Jesus Um, sometimes initially. But here's the thing. The first step in following Jesus, the first step in living as his apprentice is to know his authority, to know his authority over our lives. In other words, to believe that he is in charge, that he has authority over everything. Now, that's difficult. I, I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons that we resist change is sometimes because it requires us to bring ourselves under submission to someone else. You know, maybe it's the case that we recognize that the only way that we're going to get help in a particular area of life is by becoming vulnerable, maybe by going to see a counselor or a therapist or whatever it might be. 
but you, you don't need me to tell you this because it's probably your experience in many ways. Sometimes you don't do it. Why? Because you don't have to want to rely on someone else. You want to be able to do it yourself. You want to believe that you have the power, that you have the resources, that you have the authority to get it done. But we know all too well from life that we are in over our heads as people in this world, aren't we? Like, let's be honest about that. We are in over our heads in life. Life in a fallen world is just too difficult. It's too complex. The temptations that we face are too intense. We can't make it on our own. We are dependent on the authority of others if we really want to become someone different, if we really want to change. Like we said, an apprentice studies or works under a master to acquire a skill or trade. But even more importantly, to become like the master in that specific area. When it comes to being an apprentice of Jesus, he is the master of life, the Lord over all, the ultimate authority on people, places, and things. We don't apprentice under him to learn one skill or trade. We apprentice under him to learn how to live all of life as God intends. And so what we're saying here, the point I'm making is that discipleship involves the whole of life. When it comes to following Jesus, walking with him, all of life is on the table. Jesus is the authority and Jesus has the knowledge that we need. So by teaching them, what is he trying to impart to them? I mean, obviously, he's trying to impart knowledge to them, but he wants them to say this. He wants them to reach the point within themselves where they say, how could we not follow him? How could we not? He's wiser than us. He has original authority. He knows more than we know. There's something different. How could we not follow this man? The first step in living as an apprentice of Jesus is to recognize his authority and allow him to change our knowing as we navigate life in this world. Now let's look at how living as an apprentice of Jesus changes who we are becoming. In these verses, um, 21 through 34, that we're focusing on, he takes his disciples into three different spheres of life. He takes them to church, the synagogue, but we'll just call that church for our purposes. He takes them to church. Who do they meet in church? There's a troubled man there. Guess what? There are troubled people in church. You don't need me to tell you that. You know that. He takes them to church, and they encounter a troubled man. He has an unclean spirit. He then takes them into family life. They go to um, Simon's mother-in-law, Simon and Andrew's house, and there they encounter Simon's mother-in-law, who is sick. So he takes them to church. He takes them into family life, but then he takes them out into the city. And what do they encounter in the city? All kinds of troubled people, people who are sick, people who are uh, oppressed by various things. As Jesus takes his disciples into these areas of life, he's changing them. He's forming them. He's reordering their loves and their desires. What do I mean by that? 
This is Jesus' classroom, and notice that it's not a literal classroom. Like that's obvious, but that's a helpful observation for us to make because um, for some reason in the church, a lot of times when it comes to discipleship, we can't move beyond the knowing. We, we can't move beyond um, the intellect and the mind. But for Jesus, the classroom is where? All of life. Remember what we said, all, in following Jesus, all of life is on the table. So he takes them to church, he takes them into the family, he takes them into the city. And as he's doing this, he's forming them. He's reordering their loves and their desires. How so? He's basically taking them directly into the heart of life in a fallen world. Now, they live in this world, so they're accustomed to encountering it on a daily basis, but Jesus is doing something intentional with them now that they have committed to following him and they are on this path of following him. Jesus is taking them directly into the hell of life. And he's exposing the fallenness all around them, the sin and its consequences, the ugliness, the disorder of the human heart and in the world around them. On the one hand, we might say, wow, Jesus, this is too much for these people to handle. Like we say that, I say that. Jesus, this uh, situation that you're bringing me into, it is too much to handle. I can't handle the way that sin is being manifested in this situation. I can't handle the ugliness of life as it's expressing itself here. We'll talk more about this when we close, but Jesus loves us. Remember, first of all, Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus has the authority, but Jesus loves us. And he knows that he has to do this for the good of his disciples. He, he can't just skip over this stuff. He can't have them having some romanticized view of the world where they think that, okay, now that we're going to follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. Um, we can kind of keep ourselves from a distance from all that is hard and broken and ugly in life. Jesus wants them to learn right off the bat, nope, we're going straight into that stuff. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. And Jesus demonstrates his power in front of them time and time again. He exercises demons. He heals people. But he's doing more than just that. Remember, he's wanting to shape the character of these disciples. He's wanting to help them to become who they are meant to be. And it has to do with training their loves and their desires, reordering their loves and their desires. He's forming them to love what is good, true, and beautiful. That's what Jesus is doing. He's forming them to love what is good, true, and beautiful. He forms them to grieve the disorder and brokenness of life in all of its manifestations. He's reordering their hearts to love the wholeness that God intends for life. And so by taking them directly into the heart of a fallen world, Jesus wants them to grieve it. Jesus wants them to say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. They're not people who are meant to be uh, oppressed by demons. Sickness is not meant to be. Jesus wants them to grieve that, and he wants us to grieve that. We have the freedom in our lives, both individually and as a community, 
to grieve the brokenness of life, to say it's not the way it's supposed to be. But you see, Jesus doesn't want to leave them there. He, he's showing them the brokenness in the places where they worship, where they work, where they um, do family life, where they live their lives. But he's giving them a glimpse of what could be. As he releases evil spirits, as he frees people from bondage, he's giving the disciples a glimpse into what can be, what could be. He opens up a way to imagine a world made whole. He's training their hearts. He's shaping their hearts. He's molding their hearts to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. He's redirecting their hearts toward shalom. Shalom is that Hebrew word that means peace. But it's more than we typically think of peace. Shalom has to do with flourishing. It has to do with abundance. It has to do with thriving. It has to do with life as it was meant to be. Harmony in relationship with God, harmony in relationship to ourself, harmony in relationship to others, and even harmony in relationship to the physical creation itself. Jesus is transforming their heart. You see, Jesus was committed to shaping their worldview, their view of the world. He taught, as we looked at, as we, we saw. He, he teaches. He wants to impart knowledge to them. But he wants to move beyond them simply just knowing stuff. Because if that's all you do with knowledge, just simply know stuff, you are not formed the way that you are meant to be formed. You're meant to become someone in light of the knowledge that Jesus imparts to us. Jesus is committed to redirecting our hearts toward wholeness, toward what is good, beautiful, and true according to God. What we're talking about here is Jesus teaching them to love righteousness. He teaches them about what righteousness is, but he doesn't want them to just know about it. He's training their hearts to long for it, to long for what is righteous and whole. So, to live as a disciple of Jesus is to grow in your love of what is good, true, and beautiful. And so, what this means for us is that we, as a, a, a people of Jesus, as those who are committed to following Jesus, we should have concern about the unborn and the orphan, all the way to the widow, the whole of life, and everybody in between. We should have a concern for the broken educational systems around us. We should have concern for racism. We should have concern for unjust uh, housing policies. Jesus cares about the whole of life. He cares about it all. Remember, in following Jesus, everything is on the table. Now, it's intimidating. It's scary because we like to keep like certain areas of life uh, isolated from Jesus. Like, no, this is my thing. Like, you can't have this Jesus. But Jesus has authority over all of life. He knows what he's doing, and he's doing it for your good. To live as an apprentice of Jesus is to have him change you into someone who increasingly desires wholeness in every area of life. All right, finally, let's look at how Jesus changes what we do, like our behavior. He teaches us about what is righteous. He trains our hearts to love what is righteous, but he also calls us to do what is righteous. So let's talk about doing. 
Jesus takes them all around their neighborhood, right? We saw it, their church, their home, and their city. He um, is showing them how his authority extends to every area of life. And as he does that, he's ultimately redirecting them toward people. You see, when Jesus first called his, uh, began calling people to follow him, guess what he told them he would make them? Like, I mean, from the very beginning, like we said this, that to get close to Jesus is to be changed. Like, if you don't want to be changed, don't go anywhere near Jesus. Because Jesus will change you. He will change your life. He will change what you know. He will change who you're becoming. And he's going to change what you do. But he redirects his disciples toward people. And in the very beginning, um, just prior to this section, as Jesus calls his first disciples to him, he promises to make them into someone, to something. Guess what it is? I am going to make you become fishers of men. Fishers of people. What does it mean to be fishers of people? It means to be in pursuit of people, to love people, to desire wholeness for people. But guess what? You come to church, there's troubled people in church. You go home, sick people at home. You go out into the city, people got all kinds of issues. It's a mess out there. It's a mess in here. So when we consider Jesus' invitation uh, to follow him, that he'll make us fishers of people. He's not talking about abstract, hypothetical people. He's talking about the troubled people around you. That's hard. It's really hard. But think of some of the people here in this passage. These are real people with real names. We don't get their names. Um, and we get some of the disciples' names, but we don't get um, the names here. But these were real people with real names. Like, we are real people with real names. The demon-possessed man, Simon's mother-in-law, the crowds, everybody in these categories were people with real names. And what did Jesus use his authority for? He used it for pursuing wholeness on behalf of people and places. He pursued recovery. And these were real people who lived in real places, Capernaum. Real place, like we live in real places. Cool Spring, Trinity Vicinity, Kennett Square, Newark, you know, wherever you are living, um, whatever places are represented here, we know these places by names. And um, along with that, uh, those places have some kind of identity to us, some kind of meaning to us. Some of us love our places, some of us hate our places. And what Jesus is trying to do is to teach us to love our places. Not to overlook the trouble that exists in our places, but in the midst of that trouble to love people anyway, because that's what Jesus does for us, and that's what Jesus does for others. You know, as he took them into church, this synagogue, the disciples would have, you know, been familiar with most, if not all, the people there. You know, I, I have no idea if the demon-possessed man showed up for the first time on that particular day. Possible that he was known, I mean, I'm sure he was known in the community, 
Real people, real stories, real names. The house of Simon and Andrew. Wonder what that house was like. Different than our houses, I can tell you that. But it was the place that they called home. It's where they dwelt. It's where they knew uh, familial relationships. And this mother-in-law of Simon is a real woman with real illness. You know what it's like to be alongside of, to be present with somebody who is ill. It's not easy. It's hard. Somebody who is very ill. We don't know exactly how ill the mother-in-law was. But again, Jesus is taking them into, directly into the hell of life, into um, a world ravaged by sin and its consequences. And he's redirecting them towards people in the midst of all of their issues, complexities, and troubles. He's calling them to love people, to not just know what is righteous, to not just long for what is righteous, but to do righteously. That word righteous in the Bible is relational. It always has relational implications for how we both relate to God and we relate to our neighbor. And so Jesus is redirecting them relationally. And I keep saying that, redirecting them. What do I mean? What I mean is that they begin to enter into relationships and begin to cultivate relationships that they're already in with a whole new perspective, a whole new outlook. And what is that? To love people in the name of Jesus. To no longer use people. To no longer just identify people. Oh, that's the the troubled homeless guy over there. Or, yeah, that's my annoying family member. Or, oh, so-and-so sick again? I don't have the capacity to care for them. But Jesus wants us to see and view these relationships differently. He wants us to consider his presence in our life with all of our illness, all of our brokenness, all of our troubles. And he wants us to be empowered by him to pursue people in his name for his glory in order to walk alongside others to help them become whole in Jesus. We could say it like this. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to simply care about themselves. They had no idea what they were getting into. You know, I wonder if they would have known all of this, if they would have started following Jesus in the first place. They had no idea what they were getting into. I mean, I could imagine, because I know what it's like to follow Jesus. I could imagine that there were times where they were thinking to themselves, what did I sign up for? Like, this is demanding everything from me. And don't overlook that. Following Jesus demands everything. From us, because Jesus is the authority over life. But what have I signed up for? Pursuing others and entering into their lives? That's going to bring all of their issues uh, into my, my stuff. And guess what else happens? It causes all of your issues to come to the surface. Jesus is creating a mess, and he's creating a mess on purpose. Because Jesus works in the midst of messes. 
That's who Jesus is. That's his thing. That's his MO. That's what he does. Jesus knows what he's doing here. He knows that he's creating messes, but he's creating redemptive messes. Our priorities will get rearranged by living as an apprentice of Jesus. Jesus says to, to us, all right, follow me. It's the, the, the greatest opportunity that is available to you. I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to take you to places that will make you say, why in the world have you taken me here, Jesus? Like, this is the place. These are the people that I've been trying to avoid. Why here? Many of us are suspicious of Jesus. Many people in our culture are suspicious of Jesus. We don't trust him. We know what it's like to follow someone. Maybe we've committed to something or someone in our past only to find out that it was a sham. We all know what it's like to be taken advantage of and to be manipulated. And so I understand that there's hesitancy on our part to really follow Jesus, to give ourselves to him. But Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus did everything that he's calling us to. Jesus left the safety of heaven. Jesus left what he knew to be home in order to come into a world of troubled people, in order to come into a world filled with trouble. Jesus journeyed into all of the dark places. And guess what? These disciples, I already said this, but these disciples are not going into all of these dark places of the church and of the family and of the city alone. Jesus goes with them. Better yet, Jesus goes before them. Jesus is ahead of them saying, it's okay. It's, it's hard. I know it looks it's so scary. It really is. But look at me. I am leading you into this. I love you, and I love the world, and I long to make it whole even through my people. You can trust Jesus. You can rely on him. You can follow him. You know why? Because Jesus fished for you. Jesus fished for you. Yes, he invited his disciples to be fishers of men, but Jesus fished for you. Jesus invites you to be fishers of the people around you, in your church, in your family, out in the city. But never forget that Jesus has fished for you. And Jesus is the one who's actually fishing for those other people through you. Jesus can be trusted. He can be relied upon. Why? Because he did what he calls us to do. He went before us into the dark places of life, ultimately leading to a cross. Leading to a cross where he absorbed the wrath of God. And when he absorbed the wrath of God, he, uh, in that moment, took upon himself all of sin and its ugly consequences in life. The, the, the trouble that that demon-oppressed man felt, the illness that Simon's mother-in-law experienced, all the people out there in the city who are sick and possessed, Jesus took all of that upon himself on the cross because at, on the cross, Jesus was fishing for you. He was fishing for you. Jesus can be trusted. That summer that I worked as a tile installer, apprentice, 
I worked for under two different um, installers that summer. The first one that I worked under intimidated me. Uh, he was the kind of guy that when you messed up, he let you know about it. Uh, he would point it out. And so guess what? I would, as I went back to the saw to make cuts, I, I, I was so on edge, uh, afraid of his anger toward me. If I messed up, I, I would mess up because I couldn't focus. I, my mind was too wrapped up on the fact that I'm probably going to mess up and he's going to be mad and that would happen. But there was a day... Um, on the work scene, which I don't remember why, but there was another installer on the job site. And this literally happened. Um, I, I went off to make a cut, messed it up, came back, it wasn't the right size, and he lashed out at me. This other tile installer literally said, no, no, that's not okay. You're coming with me. Like, this really happened. And we left that job site, and the rest of the summer, I worked under that installer. And that installer taught me uh, under that installer, I would make mistakes, and he would come back, and he was forgiving. He had mercy, and he would uh, redirect me. And guess what? I improved because I didn't have that fear hovering over me as I did my job all summer. It really came down to this. I could trust him. I could rely on him because I knew that he had my best interest in mind. Jesus has our best interest in mind. Jesus has gone into the dark places ahead of us. And Jesus knows all of the ways that we have failed and all the ways that we are going to fail as we pursue people in their places. He knows we're going to fail. And Jesus is full of mercy. Jesus is full of mercy. He's full of love. He's full of tenderness. He says, it's okay. I, knew you, I know you, you're going to fail at times, but I am so committed to you that through your failure, I'm going to make you whole. And as I uh, have you on this process of making you whole, you're going to walk alongside uh, uh, others, and through my power, you're going to direct them toward wholeness in me. Jesus changes our knowing, changes our being, changes our doing. If you don't want to be changed, don't go near Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you change us. We thank you that you fish after us, knowing the trouble of our hearts, the messiness of our lives, and our sin and rebellion against you, our refusal to accept your authority. We thank you that you continue to fish for us. And we thank you for your deep love and commitment to us. For how your grace and mercy is a basket that when we fail, we fall into. And you help us back up and you continue to direct us toward wholeness in you. I pray that you would help us as a church to embrace this kind of holistic discipleship. This kind of discipleship that demands everything of us. I pray that you would equip us, that you would love us in the midst of us, and that you would help us by your spirit to be obedient, to be obedient because you use our obedience to make the world and others increasingly whole, including ourselves. We pray and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.